With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, and a very good morning to you all out there across Aotearoa. 10.03 on your Friday morning. And time now to catch up uh, with Dylan Cleaver. DylanCleaver.substack.com if you want to get into the bounce, which is his thrice weekly sports newsletter. Uh, it's always filled with fascinating insights. He is probably the most awarded sports journalist in the country and a great pleasure to welcome him to SENZ Mornings. G'day, Dills. G'day, Scotty. That's a very kind introduction. Thank you. Only the truth here, Dylan. Only the truth. Um, speaking of the truth, uh, <laughs> could be a long time before it comes out. When it comes to concussions in sports, uh, a lot of people, well, a lot of vested interests, uh, really. And you have been running stories on concussion, on the various issues around concussion for some time, uh, especially as it's pertained uh, to rugby union in this country, Dylan. But a fascinating story this week, not just from you, but David Fisher, your former colleague at the New Zealand Herald, who uh, revealed the link between ACC, the Accident Compensation Corporation, and New Zealand rugby when it came to colluding around answers to journalists' questions, uh, yours uh, in particular. What a fascinating story. Can you just give us a top line of what that was all about? Yeah, sure. Look, I was as intrigued as you were, actually. I did have some forewarning that it was coming. Um, David Fisher, the New Zealand Herald investigative reporter, um, gave me a ring, basically, to give me a heads up that this was a story he was pursuing and mm. to see what my sort of general feeling was on it. Essentially, I did a story a, a few months ago um, in summer uh, concerning uh, two Wiley, Tutakawa Wiley, the former New Zealand first MP, and one game All Black, mm. um, a Wellington legend, like a, a dashing first 5'8", running first 5'8", a real... Um, a real sparkling player, uh, he has been suffering for a long time with dementia. He um, suffered a number of concussions as a player and it really quite tragically when you read back on his medical notes he suffered a number of them in a very short space of time. Mm. The awareness around concussion back then was nowhere near like it is now. Um, you know, it was get a head knock on a Saturday um, turn up to training on Tuesday and run yourself through it. And he's been very ill for a long time. And the story was basically uh, his family, in conjunction with the lawyer, fighting the system. They had had claim after claim after claim rejected by ACC, mm. saying there was no uh, definitive proof that um, his dementia was CTE or that it was caused by his concussions. And eventually they won that battle. And I guess what upsets me and I know it's upset the family a little bit about Fisher's story is that this wasn't really a story involving New Zealand rugby. The rugby side of it was almost incidental. He could have been having, that family could have been having that five-year fight with ACC if he had been a forestry worker and received a number of um, branches on the head. Look, I don't want to stretch it to its ridiculous point, but in all seriousness, it could have been. He could have been. He could have suffered that concussion in a number of different ways. It did happen to be rugby, but 
New Zealand Rugby was never involved in the story. I, I never went to them. It was about the family's battle to get his condition recognised. So it was a little bit, I think the word I used was, it's a little bit creepy that mm. ACC's first thing that they did really was communicate to New Zealand Rugby, hey, we can't tell you who the player is, although I'm, I'm quite sure that through other back channels, New Zealand Rugby would have known exactly who it was. Correct. But we can't tell you the, the details of the case, but this is a story that the keep is working on. How do you want us to frame our response? Mm. Now, to me, that is a serious overreach of their partnership, um, their long-standing partnership around injury prevention, which is, is meritorious. I have no problem with that partnership whatsoever. I just do not think that fell into this remit. David Fisher clearly didn't feel it fell into this remit. And I guess it's up when the reader reads that story, it's up for them to decide whether... You know, this is a healthy situation for for a government no fault insurance agency to essentially be colluding with New Zealand Rugby as to how they frame their responses. Yeah, and well, I guess one of the other elements too, and and uh, you, you've spoken to me about this, and and it was also included in Fisher's story. You've sent that email to ACC in confidence. Um, you've sent your yes. requests and, and your queries in confidence. So to have those being discussed with a third party who had uh, essentially nothing to do with your story, uh, that rankles, doesn't it? Rankles as a journalist, but it also speaks volumes about what's happening in those aforementioned back channels when it comes to the ongoing discussion around concussion and the link to CTE, uh, for which many organisations, sporting organisations, including New Zealand Rugby, currently did deny there is a provable link between concussions suffered in rugby and the development of CTE and related ailments. So the, I, I guess we're trying to get to the bottom of who's in charge of the response here. Is a government agency taking its cues from a sporting organisation that, that understands that um, some of its peers around the world are currently facing class actions, um, or is and should it be that agency that is providing the best possible guidance to the sports body itself? That, to me, is where this gets rather confusing. Yeah, it does get confusing. And look, to be honest, I'm not... I understand rugby's position, um, and the one thing that troubles me a lot with some of the work that I've done is that in various um, sectors I'm labelled anti-rugby, which could not be further from the truth. I, I love the game. Welcome to the club, uh, Dils. Yeah, I, I love its physicality. Yeah. Its brutality at times frightens the hell out of me, particularly in the, in the modern game. But there'll always be a part of me that feels you know, great connection to the sport. I'm not anti-rugby, and I understand rugby's position here that they want conclusive proof before they do any action. But New Zealand rugby's actually in a very privileged position here. It's not like uh, the RU and Wales rugby and uh, who are facing class action lawsuits. ACC actually protects them from Correct. that. Correct. Uh, which, which adds a kind of not another layer to this. And I know... For the, for the listener, this is probably getting a, a, a little bit confusing when we're talking about class action lawsuits, but we're talking about a number of players that play professionally in Wales and England um, and Scotland who have since been diagnosed with early-onset dementia and probable CTE mm. are now 
suing World Rugby and the Rugby Union Wales Rugby, saying that they were not given enough warning that this could happen to them. They knew that they were in line for ACL injuries and arthritis and sure. all the you know the, the wear and tear that you get from playing such a high octane collision sport, but they were not properly forewarned that if they didn't treat concussion seriously and even subconcussive hits, if they didn't monitor the amount of subconcussive hits they were taking, they could be in line for neurodegenerative, sorry, that's a very tough word to get out sometimes, <laughs> diseases. And so, so I understand rugby want all the evidence. I get, I get that. But this, this particular incident, again, I'll use that word, I think it's an overreach. <laughs> One of the uh, central figures throughout uh, any reporting around concussion um, has been Chris Nowinski, the former footballer slash wrestler, um, who understands that that he's already suffering uh, the effects of of early onset um, and has become, uh, I guess, an advocate for uh, removing some of the contact for children in particular around trainings. but he was noted by New Zealand Rugby, and this is how they labelled him in, in the same David Fisher story, which you also alluded to in the bounce, as a contact sport critic. Um, and it just feels yeah. it feels like things are set up here. Chris Novinsky, I don't think, is a, is a contact sport critic. He, he's a critic of allowing too much contact for young brains. I understand that. And, and going back to your yeah. point around rugby, neither you nor I, Dylan, are, are critics of the game itself because you cannot mitigate for head knocks or concussive or subconcussive injuries in a contact sport. But there, there has to be some... Uh, to use a phrase that you're f- very uh, f- uh, f- that you love to use is you've got to be the adult in the room, um, and so when it becomes so adversarial over this issue, does that mean that a resolution or at least some sort of consensus gets further and further away? Yeah, it does. And look, uh, Chris Novinsky, who I think is an amazing safe sport advocate. That was how I would probably frame him, rather than a contact sport critic. Mm. I mean, he does—he does go about things in a certain way, and he does rankle people with his bullishness. Um, I think that's pretty well documented. Uh, in fact, you pointed me to a wonderful story in the, that ran in the Washington Post this week, which mm. I would urge people to get on and Google Chris Novinsky Washington Post. It's really a—it's a fantastic read. But yeah, there does there's a split into camps. Um, and I don't know who that suits, because what we all want, I would have thought, is we know we can't take all the risk out of rugby, out of NFL, out of AFL, out of NRL. We know we can't do that, but we still want to recognise the risks and be able to act on them. And in fact, there's a fascinating story that I've just run into in the, in the last three-quarters of an hour, mm. which makes me wonder if um, we've really underplayed the recovery times that you need when you receive a head, uh, head injury, whether it's a traumatic head injury or a, a mild head injury. But I no- noted that in the study in Canada that 50% of concussion sufferers are still experiencing symptoms six months on from the injury. Mm. So half of them that get a head knock are still feeling the effects of that six months on. And we, we kind of cavil about a three-week stand down yeah, um, it's extraordinary. So, yeah, but yeah, but, so but again, I go. I, 
but then you go back to the to the nature of this discussion, if I can be polite and use those terms, because the the argument is not going to stop. In all of your reporting, and, and we are expecting other reports to be revealed, um, we have scientists engaged in writing those reports. We have some who have been widely discredited, uh, as was the case for AFL not so long ago. Um, we're going to keep seeing this science refuted. We're going to keep seeing the evidence refuted. Uh, it's going to be claim and counterclaim, and for some time to come. In the meantime, Dylan, you and I have both met former players, um, some recently retired, some long retired, who we know and they know are suffering the effects um, of these kinds of ailments, of of dementia-related illnesses or CTE potentially related illnesses. Um, And it it is frightening out there. It is frightening when you're reporting on it, uh, especially when you, as you've alluded to earlier, when you still love the game, but you cannot put your blinkers on and think that this is not going to have an impact on a significant number of people who were week in, week out, playing high-contact, high-energy professional football. Yeah, and look, um, it would be absolutely wrong to speculate on on, uh, people's individual cases, but, you know, there's been stories this week about Mm -hmm. former rugby players Mm -hmm. who have died Um, and the stories referenced head injuries and and Bruce Robertson, an absolute legend of the game uh, died this week and um, B.G. Williams you know, revealed he'd been suffering from dementia for a long time so it is frightening and uh, I believe actually in I don't want to be too grim and morbid about this, but I, I believe we're kind of entering a little bit of a black spot now where uh, those guys that were playing um, high-level rugby, kind of around about that time, it went from amateur to professional. Mm. Uh, so a lot, of the, a lot of the training and the um, physicality and the fitness and the size of the players suddenly became very professionalised. Everything was hypercharged in that respect, but a lot of the lifestyle attitudes were still firmly amateur. Mm, and mm. a lot of those players are kind of entering their, their 50s now, their late 40s. And I do, I really fear that we may see a, a deluge of really grim stories. I mean, I, I hope we don't. Uh, but you know, the, all facts, or not all facts, everything <laughs> seems to line up in that direction. It, it feels that way. It, it does feel that way. And, and you know, speaking to someone firmly engaged in the game just yesterday, uh, they used the word pandemic. And that's how they described what could be coming down the pipeline, uh, which is a frightening thing to think about because ultimately you've got to think about the people first. Um, the sport is there for the people to play, but if you don't think about the people, uh, and that's both the people who are playing the game currently, and, and we know that protocols have improved over time, but the ones I fear for, Dills, are, the, are those who have left the game, are out of the game, and where is the support around them? Um, and I think that's yeah. where the waters get very murky indeed in the story. Yeah, and I think there are things um, being worked. The Rugby Foundation does do work in this space. Um, I know the Players Association are anxious to do um, work in this space. And, and again, look, I think um, I've probably been a bit late in saying this, but it's not apocalyptic. Mm. Uh, if you played rugby in the 80s and 90s, uh, by 
no stretch are you guaranteed to get Correct. neurological Correct. disorders. It is still rare, okay, um, so in terms of the amount of people played. Uh, it doesn't lessen the impact that that one person that does get it has on them, their family, their wider community, though. I think that's probably important to, to um, get out there. Amazing to talk to you, Dylan, and I know these stories are really hard because you are dealing with people who um, are riding high emotions and it's a very emotional subject, um, but always appreciate your work in this space because I think it takes a bit of bravery to step outside and uh, and not just follow suit, and um, I know that you've received your share of criticism and complaint too on the stories you've run, but I know you'll keep doing it because that's what you do, so if you want to read any of Dylan's pieces or you want to subscribe to The Bounce, just head to dylancleaver.substack.com. I urge you to subscribe to The Bounce. It's a fantastic newsletter and uh, Dylan will continue uh, to be that rare thing, uh, one of the great writers of sport and thinkers of sport. So awesome to have you here uh, today, Dils, and uh, enjoy your weekend, mate. Thank you very much, Scotty. You too.